Welcome to another episode of 15 Minute Medicine, where we try to make medicine as simple as possible, but not simpler than that. In today's episode, we have Krithi speaking to Robo Kunka. Robo Kunka is a consultant plastic and reconstructive surgeon, as well as a senior clinical lecturer in global surgery. She's a founding member of the Global Anesthesia, Surgical and Obstetrical Collaboration in Oxford. Today, they're going to be speaking about ethics and global surgery. Robert, it's really lovely to have you on the show today to talk to us about this topic. Can you just give us a little bit of an overview of your your role and your involvement with global surgery? Uh, and thank you, Priti, for inviting me to the show. It's really always uh, lovely and interesting to speak to you and hear your views. I'm a plastic surgeon. I'm a consultant plastic surgeon with a particular interest in rare tumours, sarcomas. I work in Bristol. My academic work is actually in Oxford, and I'm a senior clinical lecturer in global surgery with the Oxford University Global Surgery Group. So my involvement with global surgery mainly relates to teaching and training research. And I'm quite involved with trainees in the UK and in uh, other parts of the world. Oh, that's brilliant. Is this something that you've known that you wanted to get involved with since you were at medical school or...? Um, a little bit. I mean, in, in a kind of uh, very, um, I guess, holistic way, looking at it, that was the reason I went into medicine, like a lot of other people. And my, I have a bit of a family background of medicine, and, and I kind of, as a child, had moved around a lot of uh, low- and middle-income countries. So I grew up seeing kind of inequities in healthcare without necessarily recognising mm. that it was an inequity. Mm. I just assumed mm. that was standard. I learned a lot about, you know, by the time I was five or six, I had already learned about cholera and diarrheal diseases because mm. that's mum my mum's a paediatrician, so that's what I learned about. Mm. And it's only as I grew up and I grew up in the UK, I realised that actually, hang on, there's a huge difference in healthcare I'd seen as a child mm. and what I'm receiving myself and what I'm training in. So the inequity then made me really think, well, maybe this is what I want to be looking into more. And as I trained as a surgeon, I didn't really get a lot of chance because you're so busy training to actually be involved in in it. And also not really understanding what my role would be as a junior trainee. Mm. Uh, So I tried to be a little bit more involved now. And to to some extent, I'm still trying to work out what my role is. Yeah, I think that that sort of segues us really nicely into the first question I wanted to ask you, which is, the 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 nature and the role of collaborations between high income country health professionals and low and middle income country health professionals within global surgery has always been a matter for of debate and discussion. Hmm. Do you think the COVID nineteen pandemic has changed our role as high income country professionals in any way at all when it comes to to global surgery? Should we be you know, advocating for different things, or should we be, you know, supporting our global surgery colleagues in different ways? Yeah, sorry, it's a very wide question, but would be really interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's it's a critical. You raise a really really interesting question, actually, and one that has been raised before by some of my trainees and colleagues. Uh, and to be honest, it really made me think. And at first, I had a very quick answer which was yes and then I thought about it a bit more and I realized the answer is actually a lot more complicated Mm. than a straightforward yes or no Mm. because in fact the question that one of my previous trainees had raised was whether there will be a negative impact on LMICs because of a dampened effort from HIC health professionals 
I see. So that was a, a bit more specific than what you've asked. Mm. Uh, and and I think the assumption on with that question is essentially, I mean, that question is based on the premise that we have a positive impact mm. on LM, LMICs mm. as HIC professionals. Mm. Uh, and of course, that is where, as you suggest, the debate comes in. Mm. Do we really have a positive effect? And actually, it's very difficult to assess that. And recently, I was invited to speak on a panel by the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, mm. but it was a global surgery ethics panel. So there were, there were specialists from LMIC and HIC, and my colleagues were all, all on there, raised some very, very interesting issues. Mm. Uh, and, you know, one of the thoughts is that actually, overall, there isn't a benefit of HIC involvement with LMIC healthcare. Mm. And in fact, some can, some people will hold the view that actually it, the way we're doing at the moment continues to propagate the power imbalance that we have between HIC and mm. LMIC. And these kind of arguments predate COVID. Mm. I think COVID has kind of brought it to the forefront again. And of course, the proponents proponent of the whole kind of HIC involvement who disagree with that. And I think, you know, it is a very, very complex area. And my personal view is that COVID has changed it and will continue to change it. But I think it is, in my view, a necessary change. And I think COVID has actually enforced that change. And it's really made, I think, uh, a lot of our colleagues in HIC and LMIC really think about the role. And interestingly enough, it's also separated. So there are some people who are now no longer involved in in work in LMICs because the way they kind of envisaged being involved in healthcare has changed with COVID. And there are others who are re-examining their own role and, and there's a lot of time mm. for reflection. That's um, really interesting that you bring that up. So, yeah, so I think it's made all of us really think about it. And, and I think for me, I think it's, it's a good change uh, and a needed one. I, I, I see what you mean, actually. That's really interesting. I've never thought about it that way before. Sort of the COVID-19 pandemic galvanising a movement toward, well, away from... I suppose, high income country professionals doing, you know, parachuting in and out and doing mission based sort of short term work and, you know, re-examining the role because, you know, I suppose that that isn't possible now. Um, This really definitely takes me back to the ASSET conference that I was involved with um, on behalf of a, of a, um, a group called GASOC. It's a trainee-led group in the UK, mm-hmm. which aims to promote sort of global surgery involvement amongst trainees. And at the end, I was given the task of, at the end of the session, of telling the medical students and junior doctors who are attending our session at the conference about ways to get involved in global surgery. Actually, mm. and the first thing that we had to do was kind of break down this um, this paradigm that global surgery, for, and as it often does for the uninitiated, means that you physically go abroad, do some work, you know, help yourself and then yeah. come back. Yeah. And I suppose the pandemic really has sort of held a mirror up to these sorts of these sorts of models of of global surgery advocacy and involvement yeah 
on the other hand, I suppose, uh, uh, does the pandemic op- offer opportunities, I think you've sort of already covered this slightly, for new mm. types of collaborations? I mean, what I maybe specifically have in mind is you, we're seeing a lot of web-based teaching, training, sort yeah. of stuff popping yeah. up. And do you think we we could have a role in that sort of thing? I think so. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, the very traditional model, especially in surgery, has been this very what we call a mission style involvement mm. uh, and some of that has been the attraction and actually now with the pandemic we have moved away from that purely because we can't travel mm. and moved on to methods, more methods of how can we support collaborations uh, and, and as you said it's been you know we've got widely available teaching and mentorship programs now that are available via telemedicine mm. um, and, and that's a really good thing and hopefully that will stay beyond the the pandemic and and Amy has shown us how to be involved from a distance and it does mm. make us think should we always be involved from this and maybe we should have been involved from a distance rather than directly mm. um and, and flipping that back you know if we start on the premise that in the west we always think that in the west we have things which are slightly better if we say our surgical techniques or our surgical training is far more developed than in the low and middle income countries mm. you can go back and say well how did we develop that did we have people from elsewhere coming and telling us how to do it? Mm. Well, no, we mm. did it through through our own kind of means of through learning through mistakes and self-awareness and determination and support. Mm. And there's no reason others won't do the same mm. and we can provide support if required. And now we are able to do it through telemedicine. So I think, I think that's a good thing. I think whatever we do, it needs to be at the invitation of our colleagues elsewhere sure. and it has to be according to what our colleagues feel their needs are mm. and uh, but i think there is and i think it's not just the use of technology that's helping i think there's been a cultural shift as well in that webinars are being made free yes. a lot of teaching resources are being made free mm. so it's not just that it existed because it always existed but actually at a high cost which meant that it wasn't accessible to all of our colleagues Absolutely. but the pandemic has made us think about these issues and and most of these sessions are now free mm. um the session that i just mentioned at the american society even though the whole meeting was a, a chargeable meeting they mm. made the global surgery session free free yes uh and, and so we've had a cultural shift so i think that in itself increases improves access so that's really good the other thing i think i'll specifically mention in terms of when you talk about collaboration it certainly for me it really made me think about how do we do research through through covid and how do we do collaborative research and recently we did a, a kind of a worldwide collaboration with a lot of our uh, colleagues through mm. the oxford global surgery group mm. um and we did that during the height of the pandemic in about march to may it's a challenge because actually which we and it was on looking at the infection and mortality rates of healthcare workers worldwide and we found that it, there wasn't really a study looking at it and it was quite difficult because you want to get specific information mm. within a specific time frame otherwise it's not really helpful no. it really made me think that because travel was not involved there it suddenly i think equalized the platform for all of our collaborators because we we're all there with the same level of resources trying to contribute towards this study right and we had to think ways of how we could train each other and and actually run research workshops online so that we could do a study that 
that was actually truly collaborative. So I think, it, it, and, and when that study is now coming out in the BMJ Global Health, so it is possible, but it just makes us think a little bit more and be more innovative in how we do it. But I, I felt, and I hope my collaborators felt the same, that we did equalise the platform a bit more in this mm. research project. Mm, because I suppose it it wasn't, it was everybody working together from their local contexts, trying exactly. to establish the the uh, the evidence base for this for this review, um, exactly. as opposed exactly. to you as a quote unquote foreign team going to a local yep. resource setting and you collecting decontextualized data. Absolutely, and and you know we didn't come with funding, and there wasn't that we've come you know with funding yes. and traveling and. There wasn't any. Everybody was just where they were, but all yeah. sat at home yes. uh, and using the resources that we have. Oh. Uh, and everybody's resource was equally important for this particular study. Absolutely. I think the point about funding is, you know, a really critical one that you've just made because wherever funding is involved, agendas are, you know, skewed. And I think it would be very, mm. it would be almost naive of us to perhaps suggest otherwise especially in a sort of LMICHIC context. I, I actually was going to reference that particular story. I'm really gl- glad you brought it up, actually, because I suppose my last question to you, Robert, is how how can we, as high-income country professionals, express solidarity meaningfully with our lower- and middle-income country colleagues who are you know, quite often struggling with the same issues that we are, but perhaps just on a bigger mm-hmm. scale, things like the PPE shortages, um, yeah. which, which you talked about in the discussion section of the review and, um, you know, the, the elective lists being closed and, you know, adding to an already great surgical burden. Mm. That's a really, really difficult question, actually, because... I, as you say, I hear from my colleagues on the ground all the time about the difficulties they're facing. Mm. Uh, and although I try and provide some solidarity, I, I'm aware that I truly don't really understand the difficulties mm. they're going. When I talk about shorter PPs in my hospital, it is very different to what they say okay. when they need they have shortage. Mm. Um, so to some extent, I, I personally feel that maybe I'm being a bit superficial when I'm trying to to, to offer solidarity. Mm. However, I think the biggest, I think, or the most important way of actually showing support and solidarity is actually raising the issue, providing support, writing right. about it, and, and we need data for that. And that was one of the reasons why we did this study, because we wanted to look at, we wanted to address and provide support for our colleagues all around the world, right. you know, try and raise the fact that they don't have PP, that they mm. don't have regulations. Mm. But actually, it became more and more difficult to look at those issues without having the data in the first place mm. of, you know, how the health workers are affected. So that's why mm. we ended up doing just a kind of snapshot of what is actually happening. That in itself highlighted that actually even to raise the the, the issue is difficult because we don't have the means of providing accurate data or collecting accurate data. Right. So you can't highlight the problem. Right. So, you know, we've got to recognise that as HIC health professionals, we do have a fairly strong voice. And the way we do solidarity is actually using that voice to support mm. our colleagues by raising it to, you know, by social media or, uh, you know, research articles or even in the, you know, your normal media actually write mm. about the fact that your colleague Anthony doesn't have any PPE because mm. that's how it comes to the forefront of the health agenda. Mm. And that is a real show of solidarity. And the other thing is sharing, and which is everybody's been doing this, but we should do it more, 
sharing everything we have. We think, sometimes we think, even as medical students, we think we don't have a lot to share. But actually, as a UK medical student, you have access to a vast amount of resources in yes. terms of library access, journal access, teaching mm. resources. And we need to learn to share. You know, mm. I think global knowledge is all about addressing equity and the true true way of sharing equity or sharing equity, the true way of actually achieving equity mm. is sharing every resource we have and in fact recognizing yeah. the privileges we have. Yeah. Uh, and I think if we do that, then we, we will be able to share and provide solidarity to our colleagues. Well, that's a really insightful and helpful answer. Thank you so much. I know exactly what you mean, because by by sort of almost feeling helpless in the face of um, the, the, the challenges faced by our LMIC colleagues, because I suppose whatever we're facing, they're facing it, but sort of 10, 100 times greater exactly. because of existing resource mm. constraints. But I think your answer gave us a really, really good sort of map as to how we can go about channeling our... Um, helplessness into something a little bit more productive. Uh, I think, as you say, when we feel, it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? We feel helpless, but actually fail to recognise the privileges we do have. Yes. And actually, at every stage we have, even as a day one medical student in the UK, you suddenly have access to huge amounts of privilege, purely by saying that you're a medical student at a UK university. Mm. And those privileges that we need to use to help our colleagues who don't have those privileges, you know, you know, you might, you know, in the UK, you're called a junior doctor, which is actually a bit of a misnomer because you've actually trained for very long. <laughs> but if you write an article in a national newspaper, that will be taken seriously because you are a doctor who's yeah. written an article about something that you think is important. Uh, and even if it's a short article, it raises an important issue. And that is, that is, uh, you know, uh, a privilege that you have as a doctor in the UK. That's very, very true. Actually, we've got access to platforms that other people mm-hmm. would have to fight a lot harder exactly. to, to have. Thank you so much, Reba. That was a really, really helpful discussion, actually. Thank I think I'm sure welcome. our listeners will be taking a lot away from that. Um, and, you know, we will, of course, provide links to the to the review that you mentioned, but also a link to the um, the discussions that you had about ethics in global surgery mm-hmm. with the American Plastic Surgery Association um, and and your previous work on the ethics of um, the electives and things like that as well. I think that would be really helpful for our listeners to to Thanks. to read. Uh, thank you very much for your time once again and uh, we hope that you know listening to your discussion in the context of Professor Matuema's experiences um, as a clinician working in South Africa uh, will really help to frame this issue and the sort of changing nature of LMIC-HIC collaborations in global surgery in the COVID-19 era. Thank you very much.